0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org. it been a joy all day to sing praises together and to receive from the Word of God, both in reading and in declaration. And tonight we come to Matthew 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. Matthew chapter 15. And we read beginning with the first verse. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God? for the sake of your tradition. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever you might benefit from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Lord, thank you for the way that we have been edified today, encouraged, corrected. Thank you for your ongoing, everyday, faithful work in our lives, your patience toward us even as we were reminded this morning, your gracious way of dealing with us, so that as we look back on our journey with you since the day that you saved us, we see that despite all of our failures and all of our struggles and all of our stumbling, your hand is upon us and you've never let go of us and your work continues to this very moment and will continue all the way to the end. What we have met with in our past, your perfect faithfulness, we meet with this very night and will for the rest of time and eternity. We are yours because you have chosen us to be yours and your work in our lives is your work. And what you begin, you finish. This evening, Lord, as we return to this passage, we ask that you would be our teacher, your spirit would strengthen your people to receive your truth in our inner man, that the result would be our growth, a transforming work in our lives that's ongoing, that, Lord, you would do your good work through your perfect word by your spirit in our lives this night. We're also mindful that, Someone's always listening who doesn't know your Son. And we ask for the salvation of sinners in these days. Lord, would you open eyes, open hearts, shine your light in, and set people free through faith in your Son, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Shepherd, the head of the church. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The contrast on display in our verses could not be clearer tradition or commandments man's traditions or God's commands there is a difference Do you recognize the difference and which one do you really want I mean which one matters more to you which one do you respect which one will you respond to Which one will you hold others accountable for? Which will you defend? Traditions, man's traditions, or God's commands. When I think about that distinction, that contrast, there's a word that comes to my mind. It's a word that we hear mentioned often. It's a word that is often misused. It's a word that's often not carefully used. But nonetheless, it's a word that we need to understand because it can be rightly used. That's the word legalism. Legalism. As I said, it's a word often misused. Sometimes people are actually criticizing what is praiseworthy and calling it legalism. I just want to be clear. Obeying Scripture is not legalism. Emphasizing the need to obey Scripture is not Legalism. Perhaps some of you have run into this even with family members. Some issue comes up and you talk about what the Bible says and what God calls us to believe and what God calls us to do and maybe a family member says, that's just legalism. No, obedience to Scripture is not legalism. Hating sin, living a life where you're striving to pursue holiness, that is not legalism putting forth effort in the Christian life, striving to live a life of self-discipline in accordance with the Scriptures. This is not legalism. All of those things are taught by Scripture. What Scripture teaches is to be believed and obeyed by God's people. That's not legalism. But having noted the way that the word is often misused, we do well to think about the fact that it can be a problem. Legalism can be a problem. And it exists in more than one form. The deadliest form of legalism operates in the realm of salvation. I'm talking now about justification before God. Legalism is a distortion of the truth about how one is justified before God. A legalist is someone who believes that the sinner can be saved by his or her performance. God has given us revelation. God has given us His word. And so the legalist believes that we are saved by keeping the law. We take what God sets forth as the standard and we live up to that standard to the degree that one day God accepts us into His presence because we've lived a good life. That is a form of legalism. Salvation by law keeping, it is a gospel substitution, it is a false gospel. The Bible is very clear about this. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, why do you even have to mention this? Because there are people who believe that you're saved by keeping the law. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I mean, if this is how salvation works, you just simply live up to the standard that God sets forth in His Word, then why did Jesus die on a cross? Galatians 2.19 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Couldn't be clearer, could it? Romans 3.20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What does the law do? It informs us of our sinfulness. It doesn't save us points us to the one who does save us, the one who fulfilled the law. He didn't nullify it, he fulfilled it. Saved not only by the death of Jesus, but first saved by the life of Christ. He lived the life we can't live. His righteousness given to us as a gift on the basis of faith. His death paying the penalty for all of our sins. So this is one form of legalism, the idea that you can be saved by keeping the law. And the Bible is very clear, you cannot. But that's not the the way most people are using the term, as you know. Most people, when they talk about legalism, not talking about justification before God, they're talking about how you live the Christian life. And what they rightly recognize, I mean, if the term is being used properly, what they rightly recognize is, is possible to have begun well, and then all of a sudden, somehow, we sort of lose our way, and we begin to live the Christian life by a principle different than the one in which we began. Having begun by the grace of God, having begun by the Spirit of God, somehow we begin to think that we can be perfected by the flesh, by constructing our own standards and then keeping those standards in our own strength. Not only is it possible to distort the truth of justification by faith alone, it's possible to distort how the Christian life is meant to be lived. Paul addresses this in Galatians also. Galatians 3.3, dealing with people who are being persuaded in a scary fashion, being persuaded by legalists, he says to the Galatians, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is what people often mean I think most often mean by legalism, that now you are approaching the Christian life in a way that really is a counterfeit of the Spirit's work. You substitute human standards for divine truth and you substitute human ability for the power of the Spirit of God. That's legalism. Now, what connects these two forms of legalism, what is at the heart of each of these forms of legalism is what our text addresses tonight, and that is the question of authority. What truly has authority over our lives? What really has God standing behind it? What is binding upon us? What does God expect of us? What are we bound to submit to and to obey? And what will become apparent in our verses is what you and I must be most concerned about is what God has said, not what someone else has said about what God has said. What has God said? Not what has someone else said about what God has said. Only one of those has authority. We'll look at these verses into three headings. I'll just mention them as I come to them. The first one, verses 1 and 2, we have a question concerning tradition. A question concerning tradition. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. First thing I want you to notice is that you have these men questioning Jesus who came from Jerusalem, Jesus is in Galilee, and currently in a remote part of Galilee, and He's met by these men who have come from Jerusalem. And I think what we're meant to understand is that this group has come to Jesus representing authority. They are a delegation come on a a representative mission. This thing about about Jesus now is becoming serious and religious leaders are recognizing it. In fact, it may be that some leaders in the north had asked for these men to come from Jerusalem. Can you help us deal with the effects of the influence of this Jesus? They speak not only for themselves, but for the religion of the Jewish people. You'll remember something similar happened with the ministry of John the Baptist. John 119 says, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? I mean, if you're going to operate, if you're going to teach, call people to repentance and baptize them, we need to know who you are. Who do you say that you are? D.A. Carson comments, these did not belong talking about the men who have come from Jerusalem in our text, these did not belong to the many such leaders scattered throughout the land, but came from Jerusalem. They would probably therefore be held in special esteem. But from Matthew's perspective, they were probably a quasi-official deputation and a source of Jesus' most virulent opposition. Men who've come representing the whole of the religious leadership, centered in Jerusalem, and and they come opposing the Lord Jesus. Leon Morris commented, Matthew's word order, moreover, put some emphasis on Jerusalem. There came to Jesus from Jerusalem, Pharisees and scribes, coming from the capital, the holy city, into this rural area. They would have been regarded as especially authoritative. It was not to be expected that people from the great city would make their appearance in such a remote area. Matthew also makes it clear they came to Jesus. It was not that they were paying a pastoral visit to Galilee and happened to come across Jesus. It seems that they had come expressly to confront him. That they would come so far from so far in order to oppose him tells us something of the reputation that Jesus had built up and something also of the measure of the hostility of the Pharisees. They were accompanied by scribes or legal experts. They would feel that they were well-equipped to cope with whatever they would encounter in the northern area. And so here they come, armed you know, for bear, so to speak, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem, and they want to talk to Jesus about tradition. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Three things I want you to note. First of all, let's understand the tradition. What do they have in mind? Well, they're talking about a body of teaching, interpretations, applications, concerning the law of God that, that grew up over a long period of time. It was passed down. It was preserved orally. A body of traditions based on the desire, initially at least, to honor the law of God. Now, I don't want you to miss that. The way the tradition developed... Had to do with a desire to obey God's law. So you take the parts of the law that are difficult to understand, and you have this this growing body of teaching as to how to understand those difficult to understand parts of the law, or you take the parts that were more easy to understand, and they would talk about now how do we apply this? What are the implications around this? Uh, How are we meant to to live this out? And so this this body of teaching develops over time, passed on generation by generation, various rabbis continuing uh, to pour into this body of tradition, their understanding, so it, it increases and grows over time, the tradition. R.T. France says this phrase refers to the oral law, a continuing elaboration of rules for living based on the Old Testament law, but going far beyond it, which developed eventually into the incredibly detailed regulations of the Mishnah. For the Pharisees, this tradition was an authority alongside the Old Testament law. A couple of things I want to underscore that France just mentioned. First of all, Their teaching went beyond the Scriptures. This is what the Bible says. This is how we understand we should live based upon what the Bible says. So they're not just quoting Scripture. They're they're seeking to explain it and apply it. But then eventually what happens as this this body of understanding builds is they, they go far beyond what the Bible says. Yet they treat their tradition as having an authority equal with Scripture. Or you might say they treat the tradition as necessary to rightly understand the Scripture. So here's the Word of God, but here's our understanding of the Word of God. And what happens over time is your faithfulness, your orthodoxy is measured by whether or not you subscribe to and submit to the the growing body of understanding of how to live this. This is what the law says. This is how we understand you're to live. And now we're going to measure your faithfulness, your orthodoxy by whether or not you subscribe to and submit to this body of traditional understanding. So that practically speaking, it has an authority right alongside the word of God. And you see the authority of this tradition in the question, don't you? Because notice what they say, verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Parabino is the word, and it means to transgress. From the vantage point of the Pharisees and the scribes, transgression is happening. Your disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders. And the particular transgression that they mention has to do with the washing of hands for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. A kind of ceremonial washing that had become customary at mealtimes. Donald Hagner says this, there's no Old Testament commandment concerning the ceremonial washing of hands before the eating of ordinary meals. Let's just stop there for a moment. If there's no Old Testament commandment about these washings before meals, how do you end up with such a tradition? Hagner goes on to explain, he says, The Pharisees, however, had as their main project the reapplication of the ritual purity required of priests in connection with their temple duties to the table conduct of the ordinary family at home. The Pharisees in this instance had taken the commandment to priests concerning the washing of hands and feet before performing their temple duties and had applied it to all Jews in the blessing preceding the eating of meals. So you take something biblical that had to do with priestly service and apply it to the common times of meals enjoyed by families in their home and now we are going to Expect that you will practice what God's Word does not command with respect to your homes, but did command with respect to the priests. Taking something from Scripture, applying it in a way beyond Scripture, but then insisting on it as if it's exactly what Scripture taught. Why are your disciples transgressing the tradition? Why do they come to Jesus? They came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They come to Jesus because they rightly understand Jesus has taught his disciples that such washings aren't necessary, are not required. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus practiced what he taught his disciples. Luke eleven thirty seven. 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So our Lord didn't practice these ceremonial washings, and he didn't require his disciples to, and he didn't teach his disciples to. So the Pharisees and scribes are right. Jesus is at the source of this transgression. He's the one who's not practicing it himself and teaching his disciples not to practice it a question about tradition. Why aren't you observing this? This is the second thing we see in our text, and that is an answer concerning commandments. Verse 3, And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if you've got a pen or a pencil and don't mind marking up your Bible, notice the first three words of verse 4. For God said, first three words of verse 5, but you say, Christ sets the words of the Pharisees and scribes at odds with the words of God. God said, honor your father and mother. He who speaks evil of father and mother should be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus answers their question with a question. You ask me why my disciples Transgress the tradition, I ask you why you transgress the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. You see, this gets to the matter of authority, doesn't it? Which one has authority, your tradition or the Word of God? And as legalists do, these men had invested their tradition with the authority that belongs only to the Word of God, and the result was they were actually violating the Word of God for the sake of their tradition. They actually respected their tradition more than they respected Scripture. And this is what legalists do. They claim to be honoring the Scriptures with their traditions, but in fact they have elevated their traditions above the Scriptures and have more respect for their traditions than the Scriptures. And Jesus makes clear this is not an empty or vague charge that He makes. He attaches specifics. What do we know that God has said? And he talks about what we find in Exodus 20 and in Exodus 21. God has said, Father and mother are to be honored. Exodus 20 verse 12, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God has said, Honor your father and your mother. And God has said that they are to be honored even in the way that you speak to them. Exodus twenty-one seventeen: Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. You revere your father and your mother not just with words. You revere them by taking care of them when they are in need. But you also revere them with your words. You don't curse your father or your mother. We know what God has said, but what have you said? What have you said, verse 5? You have said that whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. What is Jesus talking about? Talking about a practice known as Corban. Mark 7, 11, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And listen, and many such things you do, I mean, this, is, this is just one example of many, where tradition trumped Scripture. What's he talking about, this this Corban principle? Well, people apparently could take their wealth, make a vow that it will be given to the temple service, but then hold on to it and use it for the rest of their life. They could make use of it. But if there was a need, in the case of their father or mother, they could not take what had been dedicated to God and make use of it for caring for their parents. You could use it for yourself, but you couldn't use it for someone else. And if you wonder why someone would make such a promise, such a commitment, the answer is greed. Not wanting to see your wealth whittled away by having to use it to take care of your elderly parents so you could refuse to take care of your parents by saying it's been given to God. Can't use it for you. It's been given to God. And in that way by their tradition, they were violating the Word of God. When you deny support to your parents, you refuse them the honor that Scripture commands. And when you explain to them why you can't help them, you are actually speaking evil to them. Because in the name of God, you're telling them a story that doesn't match what God has said. This is why our Lord would associate it with cursing your father or mother the very words that you use to explain to them why you won't help them is violence violence towards your parents the legalists are hyper alert to the transgressions of their traditions but they are blind and dull to the violation of god's own word The legalist asks, why do you violate our traditions? The Son of God asks, why do you violate the Word of God? Third thing I want you to see, a question about tradition, an answer about commandments. Third, I want you to notice an analysis concerning hypocrisy. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. And by this, you invalidated the Word of God for the sake of your tradition You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the commands of men. How do you explain people like the Pharisees and the scribes? Jesus says they're hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is, right? A play actor, someone who wears a mask. They give one appearance, but the reality is different than the appearance. You give the appearance of caring about the law of God. You give the appearance of caring about the will of God. But in fact, your traditions avoid the Word of God. You can't be concerned about the will of God when you are practically striving to avoid the Word of God. And Jesus explains that at the heart level. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. God on your lips, but the world in your heart. Not willing to give God what He commands, but willing to give Him what what you've determined you'll give him. This is what legalism does. It offers duty-keeping at the behavioral level, not devotion to God at the heart level. Let's keep the duties. Let's keep the rules. Let's behave the ways that we've all agreed we ought to behave. Let's offer what looks like service to God, and externally it seems like a whitewashed tomb clean. But at the heart level, death is at work because what you lack is genuine love for God, which then is exhibited in genuine love for people, including your parents. The scribes and the Pharisees represent something ancient. You know, these traditions were ancient, ancient teachings. But they represented a different kind of ancient commitment Jesus says, you go as far back as what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about hypocrites way back then. You walk in the footsteps of your fathers who were spiritual liars. In fact, Jesus says in verse 7, when Isaiah was prophesying, he was talking about you. Because you're in the same line. You belong to the same family. Verse 7, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people." "...honors me with their lips, with their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commands of men." Isaiah 29 and 13, "...and the Lord said, "...because this people draw near me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men." They fear me to the degree of their own standards. That's it. Their religion is a show. Thus they're called hypocrites. Their words are not matched by their works. God is on their lips, but the heart is far away. Their heart is far from God. Therefore, their worship is useless, vain, empty, worthless. They have substituted human precepts for God's commands. That is legalism. That's what men have done when it comes to justification before God and they believe you can be saved by law-keeping, that's what people have done when they have lost their way. Having begun by grace, having begun by the Spirit, now they are struggling in their life because instead of walking after the Lord Jesus by the standards of Scripture and in the power of the Spirit, they have begun to live by a set of human precepts that perhaps began with good motives, but have devolved into something that is heavily burdensome and spiritually destructive, and their life shows the effects. Now next week, when we come to the verses that follow, Jesus will explain in very clear terms why he didn't pay attention to the particular tradition they mentioned. He's going to talk about what really defiles a person. But tonight where I want to finish is by just asking us as we wrap this up a few questions to consider. Or you might say, if we wanted to do it this way, let me offer a few exhortations. First of all, church, I would encourage us, always know the difference between the Word of God and tradition. Know the difference. Because what happens sometimes in congregations where there's a high view of God and a high view of His Word And just as it was with their tradition, there is this desire to sort of fence the law of God, to make sure we're not violating it. And so we begin to discuss, now what does this really mean, and how does this really apply, and what are the implications that arise out of this understanding, and as a result, if this is true, then this must be true, and if this is true, then this must be true, and if this is true, then this is what we ought to do. And before you know it, you are five steps away from what the Bible says. But you treat that fifth step as if it is scripture. Not only in how you regard your own obedience, but how you regard others. The question is not are they obeying that verse? The question is are they obeying our take on that verse? That in some cases, if we're really talking about legalism, you can't demonstrate your take on that verse, it's a tradition. Do you know the difference between those two things? And do you understand this is not a benign question? When you began to invest human precepts with the authority of divine revelation, it not only hurts your own spiritual life, you will end up doing damage to someone else. As you judge them based not on the holy word of God, but on your own Ideas and perceptions and applications, your concepts of the implications of what you see in the verse, now that becomes as authoritative for you as the verse itself, and you judge people based on your take on Scripture, not on Scripture. I exhort you not to do that. Should we think in terms of wisdom? Yes. Should we think in terms of how best to apply things? Of course. Can we help each other in those areas? Yes. But always, in your own mind and heart, make the distinction between what the Bible says and your best understanding of how to apply it, because there is a difference. So second, hand-in-hand with that, I would just say beware investing your traditions with the authority of God's Word. What are your traditions? What is especially important to you, to your family? This is one of the ways that churches walk together in unity. They're able to make that distinction. Between my traditions and the Word of God. And by the way, all tradition is not evil. There can be good, healthy traditions. But you still have to make that distinction in your mind and heart about authority. Pastor, can you give me some examples? Well, let me give you just a few. I mean, let's think about education. For some people, there's not even a question You are going to homeschool your children. It's not private school, certainly not public school. By the way, dear ones, I think we're living in a different era right now. I know some people just cannot help it, but if you can avoid the public school system, by all means do, because it has turned into, in many cases, a brainwashing operation. And if your children are there, make sure you are on top of them and talking to them and knowing what they're hearing and knowing what they're being influenced by. We have never lived in a more dangerous time than we're living in right now in in our lifetimes in this country in terms of indoctrination. But having said that, education is an individual family choice. You can take principles, but you can't take a verse of Scripture and say, now this is how you must educate your children. You cannot do that. So when you begin to judge others and feel certain things in your own heart toward other people, based on that issue, do you recognize the difference between your traditions... Your understanding, your application versus what the Bible actually commands. Know the difference. We have, over the years here, we have met with people, I mean, passionate about medicine. This is not what we do. This is what we do. And I'm not going to even go into the details. The point is, do you know the difference between what you personally believe and are committed to versus what the Bible says? So that you don't begin to break the church up into categories of people who are wise and foolish and obedient and disobedient based on an issue that you don't have a verse for. Just based on your understanding. Know the difference between the Word of God and tradition and don't invest your traditions with the authority of God's Word. Third exhortation. I've got four. Third, beware offering to God what is external in the place of your heart. One of the ways that you'll know your life is devolving into this legalistic approach to the Christian life is that now you measure everything by the external in your own life. I must be doing well because I'm at church Sunday morning and Sunday evening, and I'm involved with an ABF class, and and I've got a daily time of study that I'm engaged in. And, And so I'm checking the boxes. These are the things that make for spiritual health, and I'm doing these things. Yeah, but where is your heart? Where is your heart? And if you don't pay attention to the condition of your heart, you can find yourself having wandered far away in a way that's almost imperceptible to you because you've been measuring spiritual health by the wrong standard. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Is it possible for believing people to leave their first love and still be very busy in the name of God? If you don't think so, just read the seven letters to the seven churches and read about the church at Ephesus. They were doctrinally straight. They were full of activity in the name of Jesus. But they had left their first love. What is your heart condition? Beware offering to God what is external in the place of your heart. Last exhortation make sure that your words are submitted to God's word. And in thinking about the contrast between the lips and the heart, make sure your words are sincere. That contrast, for God said, verse 4, but you say, verse 5. Are your words submitted to God's word? This is how you avoid putting tradition in the place of Scripture. This is how you avoid investing authority into something that doesn't have authority. You actually submit your mind, your heart, your speech, your standards to Scripture. Make sure that your words are submitted to God's word. Don't stop short of what God has said, don't go beyond. What God has said. Know the difference between what God says and what you or somebody else says about what God says. So that what we say must be submitted always to what God said. Legalism is a word often misused, sometimes cruelly misused. It's not legalism to obey the scripture and to care about obeying the scriptures. It's not legalism to want to be wise. You say, I don't have a verse for that, but I've seen a lot of destruction through that behavior. You might be free to do it, but it's not profitable. That's not legalism. That's wisdom. It's not legalism to strive to live a holy life. It's not legalism to put forth a lot of effort in the Christian life and live a self-disciplined life. That's not legalism. But what takes legalism in the realm of justification before God and legalism in the realm of living the Christian life and connects them is the matter of authority. What is binding on us? And the answer to that is, what has God said? That's where the authority is found. If you see that, would you say amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. For your revelation to us. Thank you for your holy word. Lord, may we in our own lives recognize the difference between what you have said and what we think about what you have said or what we say about what you have said. But also, Lord, allow us to know that and to practice that when it comes to each other. That we would exhort each other at every point about living holy and wise, submissive lives, but not play the judge in a way that only belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to know the difference between tradition and commandments and to love each other in a way where we exhort each other all the more as we see the day approaching but with the understanding that the judge is standing at the door so that we leave to you, Lord, what belongs to you and we embrace only that which belongs to us and has been given to us And in this way, Lord, may you be honored by our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.